Welcome to Political as Heck, the podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Assel, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, hey Corey. Hey, you've got some news, Todd. You hosted none other than Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for a fundraiser this last week. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, thanks. Um, I actually hosted him at the event at the Capitol where 13 um, uh, GOP legislators in Utah endorsed him. The fundraiser was a different event, which I also attended, although I hadn't planned to. But that was hosted by um, um, Gregory Cook, who is the founder of doTERRA at, at his house and, and um, Senate President Stuart Adams. But it was it was cool. It was the first time I got to meet Ron DeSantis. And um, um, I stood behind him at the Capitol um, when he kind of gave about a 20 minute uh, speech and um, and then he took questions. I was glad to see he took questions. Um, and, you know, the unfortunately, the that the takeaway from that for many people is, oh, he's saying that slavery better, you know, that 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 slavery benefited people. And that's not what he said at all. Um, and that's not what the uh, Florida standards say at all. But uh, I, I guess that's the media spin on everything. And just to be clear, what he said was that the Florida Board of Education, they hired a team of academics to come up with with curriculum standards um, about, you know, slavery. And um, and the Florida Board of Education published those this week. He said, I, I had nothing to do with it. If you have questions about that, you should contact the Florida you know, Board of Education. Um, I didn't dictate those standards. I didn't approve those standards. I didn't, you know, and and yet somehow now he's a racist um, because the academics, he did say that they're the most comprehensive standards on that subject in the country that any state has adopted. So in any event, I, I don't think he's a racist. I, I don't believe that, you know, that slavery was a net benefit to anyone, but I think all of that is mostly a made up controversy. Yeah, we don't need to worry about nonsense gotcha of the week, you know, who, who yeah. cares what these guys think. But uh, Governor Ron DeSantis guy is, you know, a lot of folks think that he's dipped a little. And I just want to say it's a long ride to run for president. And uh, if anybody's paid attention these last many years that we've had presidential elections, candidates will have highs where they're the greatest thing ever, and they'll have lows where they're uh, completely crashing and burning. And, well, I can uh, tell you, uh, Biden announced about four years ago, right now, it might have been August, four years ago, and at the end of September, he was trailing to Elizabeth Warren a mm -hmm. month or two after he announced. Yeah. And um, you know, eight years ago this month, uh, Scott Walker was in the lead among Republicans and Donald Trump was in seventh place. And so I, I don't know of many races, you know, at least when your party's out of power, when uh, the, the front runner has been decided by July, you know. I mean, basically, the only one you can look at is like George W. Bush. He was more or less crowned. But then again, uh, McCain beat him in in New Hampshire. So. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of football left to be played. And I was talking to a friend, coworker today about this exact subject. And he's like, well, do you think he's out? And I was like, no, <laughs> there's a lot of football left to be played. And I still view him as somebody special, especially for what he did during COVID. I, I will tell you, being in the same room with him and, and, you know, I heard him kind of give his stump speech twice the same day. Um, he, he is 
uh, I, I've, I've been in the same room with a lot of people. I, I was really impressed. I told you, I think two years ago when I was with Christy Noem, when she spoke, but he, he seemed presidential. Um, there's, it seems like there's something special about him. Um, the, I, I watched a lot of people, um, you know, kind of meet with him, you know, and there's something there. I, I, um, I felt like I was sitting in, in the presence of the next president. That's just how I felt. And, you know, I've, I've been in the same room as Bill Clinton. I've been in the same room with a lot of people before. And Bill Clinton certainly had a certain quality. People who've met Bill Clinton and Hillary will tell you for, you know, for a moment when they're talking to you, they make you feel like you're the most important person in the world. And um, I, I wouldn't say that DeSantis has that same Clinton-esque quality, but there is something special about him. So I, uh, I don't, I wouldn't count him out yet either. Quinn Denning, who ran in the convention to replace Chris Stewart, remember he was eliminated in the first round of voting. Well, he filed a suit in Utah District Court on Tuesday asking the court to remove Celeste Malloy as a candidate, alleging that she was not a registered Republican when she filed to run. He argues that uh, Malloy was not registered as a Republican when she launched her campaign. We discussed this last time. She, she had not updated her residence and she'd been moved in the system to pending removal. And the state law prohibits a person from running for the nomination of a political party if they're not a member of that political party. So the lawsuit asks the court to disqualify Malloy and impose a preliminary injunction against her name being included on the ballot. So Todd, I wanna to hear what you have to say. Here's my thoughts. I think this lawsuit is sour grapes and it makes me very sad that the supposed defenders of the convention system are the ones who are actively tearing it down now. I totally understand there's some frustration with uh, maybe how the lieutenant governor approached the situation. I don't understand, though, why that implicates Celeste Malloy. She had registered as a Republican many years before. She worked as a Republican staffer in Congress and had every reason to believe that she was still on the role as a Republican. She was a Republican. She is a Republican. This is just uh, a ridiculous navel gazing exercise. So under any scenario, she qualified. So I believe that this lawsuit is vindictive and unnecessary and annoys me because we've spent so many years trying to defend the convention system. And here's many of the critics have said, it's not the convention that you love. It's the fact that uh, a, 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 a group of people can hijack it and elect somebody that they want. And, you know, and of course, in the views of, of those convention haters, it's, you know, people who love the convention, what you really want to do is elect some crazy right winger. That's what they believe. And they've made that argument. And here we are where, oh, we didn't get who we wanted, even though the convention has spoken, did vote for her. These are issues that could have been debated. They weren't. She won. It's over. Todd, what do you think? Yeah. So let, let's just revisit Quinn Denning uh, out of the 790 delegates who attended that convention in Delta, Quinn Denning was able to secure a resounding 13 votes in the first round. <laughs> and when he dropped out, he threw all of that support, that 1.6% of the delegate vote, he threw that support behind Greg Hughes. And I'm not saying Greg Hughes is behind this lawsuit, but Greg Hughes's supporters 
are the ones that will not let this go. And I wish Greg Hughes, if he's not pushing this um, from behind the scenes, I wish he would stand up and say, you know, call off the dogs. Celeste is our nominee. And this lawsuit is asking uh, the court to order the lieutenant governor to ask the party for a different name to put on the ballot. So in terms of the lawsuit, it's it's one of the worst I've seen. Um, the lawyer who filed it, I've never heard of before, but he has no experience with political parties. But um, let me just tell you a little secret. Under federal law, uh, 45 days behind be, before the primary, the uh, the clerks of each county have to send ballots overseas to those who are registered to vote overseas, like, you know, people in the military and, you know, uh, et cetera. And so those ballots with Celeste Malloy's name were mailed out last Saturday, two days ago, because that's 45 days. So we're now 43 days. So the ballots have already been mailed out. So the the, the best you know, and you can't you can't switch the names on the ballots now. So asking you know the party to substitute her name for Greg Hughes or you know for anyone that that's off the table because you can't that would be a that would be election interference if you send out some ballots with Celeste Malloy's name and other ballots with I'm just say I'm just picking on Greg Hughes with his name so that's off. So, uh, next of all, they failed to they failed to name. Um, the, the state party, because their real complaints are not against the lieutenant governor. They're saying that the party, basically, if you read between the lines, they're saying the party didn't follow its own rules, which A, is wrong, and B, they didn't sue the party, which is an indispensable party um, to this lawsuit. So the lieutenant governor, by statute, all she can do is act on the name that the party gives her. The party gave her one name, Celeste Malloy. So how did she do something wrong? Should she have gone back to the party and say, uh-uh-uh, Give me a different name. Uh, and so, uh, but the biggest problem with this is the timing. That This lawsuit, if it was going to be filed, should have been filed the Monday or Tuesday after the convention. Um, but by waiting until, I mean, this lawsuit was filed 48 days, 48 days before the ballots went out. So they, they, there was a small window of time. I'm not saying even then that the lawsuit would have had merit, but they burned through um, two or three weeks of, of time when maybe something could have actually happened. Um, but by the time the judge gets this, I think he'll dismiss it as moot. Um, I mean, so, so the, uh, the other thing I want to say is if you read through, and I'm a lawyer, so I'm going to be all technical, but if you read through the prayer for relief at the end of the complaint, they're not asking for any relief against Celeste Malloy. So there's no there, there's no reason to name her. They're not asking for her to be imprisoned. They're not asking for her to have to pay a fine or pay their attorney's fees. And the reason the reason they're not asking for that uh, is um, is that you know there's no legal recourse against her. So there's no reason to name her. Uh, so there was a reason to name the party, which they failed to do. There was no need, need to name her, but they named her. I think just to get the the, the publicity. Um, the, the the attorney general's office will defend um, the lieutenant governor, and and they know the election law apparently a lot better than the plaintiff's attorney does. We got our fundraising numbers for all the candidates for both the uh, the congressional race to replace Chris Stewart, as well as the Senate race, and let's start with. Uh, Congressional District 2. So Becky Edwards raised 
she added a hundred thousand of her own money and that's remember she's all, already donated five hundred twenty seven thousand dollars of her own money to the u.s senate campaign against mike lee so she's put in quite a bit lately uh, celeste malloy raised seventy two thousand including fifteen thousand from a pack called value in electing women the view pack her campaign finished this turn or this um reporting period with as about as much debt as, as cash on hand. She has 41,490 cash on hand, 41,432 in outstanding debt. So basically if that's her cash on hand, it's about 60 bucks. So Bruce Huff, he raised 60 and loaned his campaign uh, 200,000, a little bit more. And so the loan obviously accounts for most of, most of his rate, what he's raised so far. So here we are in a situation, we've talked about this already, that now, now we just got done talking about how some folks in the party are trying to tear down Celeste Malloy. And then we have two folks in this race who didn't go through the convention or at least didn't win. And well, well, let me just jump in there because Quinn Denning only got 13 votes at convention. Bruce Huff got 14 votes. So he was one vote ahead of Quinn Denning. <laughs> Even sweeter. So, uh, but the, obviously, the way that Bruce is able, Huff is able to make it on the ballot is through collecting signatures. And, and did you see what, what were his expenses? Do you have his? He spent two hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars, I think. Yeah, I need to go back and look at that. So maybe we'll do. Yeah. This so time. his expenses were over two hundred twenty thousand. I think almost all of that was on signatures and then campaign people who were, you know, shepherding the signature gatherers. So. Yeah, and what the number, it looked like to me, uh, I think the Salt Lake Tribune reported $27 a signature, something like that. Yeah. I that is incredibly 25. expensive. Yeah, I'd heard 25 back uh, before he started gathering them. Yeah, so that's a lot of money. But it does also, again, so we have Bruce Huff is probably going to be able to continue to put more money in his, into his campaign. Becky Edwards, we know, is going to be able to raise more and also has some money of her own. And Celeste, it looks like... She, if if this is what the cash on hand, hopefully it's not the only thing she's got, but it's not looking good. So this can be tough to run a campaign on on that. But I do know that there that she has a fundraiser um, coming up with some folks that are connected to Utah in D.C. So, well, let me tell you, um, Celeste's fundraising was really hampered by these party strategists who are trying to undermine her because. In those three weeks after the she won the convention, I, I know she I, I know she felt like it's hard to to ask people for money when people were kind of whispering that maybe she her name wouldn't get forwarded. So I don't believe she had much of that cycle because that's reporting through the end of June or through the end of July. Yeah, no, June. the end of June. Yeah. So my guess is um, she won that convention what like the middle of June. Um, so all of that money she raised was while either she wasn't, it was either before the convention or after the whisper started um, at the end of the convention. So hopefully her July and August numbers will be better than her June numbers were. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so that's really fascinating. All right, let's move to the Senate race. So Senator Mitt Romney. Obviously, he still hasn't officially announced that he's going to run for re-election, but his number is just over 1.5 million on hand. 
And last week we talked about how Speaker Brad Wilson has 2.1 million on hand. Riverton Mayor Trent Staggs has just over 209,000 on hand. And standing out in Rami's filing is nearly $714,000 that he earned from a private political firm targeted victory, which is connected to him, by the way, for the use of the senator's fundraising list. That's that. You know what really jumps out about that? That's a lot of money for sure. But it also tells you what kind of a list he has that it's worth that kind of money, right? Yeah. How much he can raise by snapping his fingers, as we were talking about last week. You know, I was at an event. This was before Mitt Romney ran for president. So this was a long time ago. But I remember I was sitting under like a tent outside in somebody's yard or something. And Mitt Romney was speaking. This was here in Utah. I was in Salt Lake. And we all knew he was going to run for president, but he hadn't launched it. And he said, well, he said, we ought to get all of your names and contact information. And then he said, oh, never mind. We'll 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 have all your names and contact information soon enough. And I only bring that up because this was like 12, 15 years ago. He was already planning to build a database of Republicans. And obviously he did that. But I thought that was an interesting comment for him to make is, oh, we ought to get your names up. Now we'll 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 find you. <laughs> so. Yeah. And when you have a Rolodex like that, well, first of all, he's already super rich. But when you have a Rolodex like that, it's it just means that you're going to have access. Uh, this past week, former Utah Governor John Huntsman was in attendance and spoke at a No Labels event with Senator Joe Manchin, among others. And there's a lot of conversation, at least around D.C., about whether Governor Huntsman is interested in being a candidate as either president or vice presidential candidate for No Labels. Now, so No Labels is a bipartisan organization that actually leans left. It's mostly Democrats that run it, but but nominally it's nonpartisan. And they are looking very seriously at running a candidate. And uh, for those who don't know, when it comes to running for president, it's actually a big deal to be able to get on the ballot. So, you know, even if, let's say, President Trump were not to get the nomination for Republicans and he wanted to run on his own, he wouldn't be able to do it because you've got to get your party on the ballot uh, basically months ago. And so No Labels has has been doing that work and is on, is on the ballot and is working in, in other states that they to, to get nationwide. They don't have a candidate yet, but the idea is if the 2024 election is a repeat of 2020, namely Biden versus Trump, then they are very seriously considering running a third party candidate. A lot of people think that Senator Joe Manchin might be interested in that. He's up for re-election in West Virginia and his chances of winning or re-election are not good. So a lot of folks do think that he is seriously considering um, running under uh, for president under the no labels banner. And Senate and Governor John Huntsman may or may not also be interested. He spoke at the event. What do you think, Todd? Well, I think uh, John Huntsman needs to decide if he's a Republican or not. Um, I, 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 he was involved. I just want to remind people he was involved with no labels and did. Uh, I think he, when they first rolled this out in you know back east, I can't remember if it was New York or Washington D.C. He was kind of at the rolling out party, and this was before he ran. I think this is before he was ambassador to Russia, even, uh, but certainly before he ran for governor. 
uh, of Utah in 2020 against Spencer, you know, against Spencer Cox and Greg Hughes. Um, but, um, you know, it really just makes me kind of suspicious of, you know, is he a Republican or is he a no labels guy? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know kind of how to peg him um, anymore. Maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he wants to be mysterious or whatever. But um, look at if they launch this third party campaign, there's no chance. I like Joe Manchin. I like that he held up some of Biden's agenda those first two years. Um, but Joe Manchin's not going to win, even with John Huntsman as his VC uh, VP candidate. They're not going to win the presidency. So either they're going to help Biden or they're going to help the Republican nominee, which is likely going to be Trump or DeSantis. I, I can't do that political calculus. I don't know who they would take more votes away from. Um, I just don't know. Uh, but they could throw a monkey wrench into maybe some of the swing states where, you know, maybe that race would be decided between the Republicans and Democrats by one or two percent. They could get enough that, that they could maybe throw it to somebody else. Now, if it helps Republicans win, then woo, let's go for it. If well, it there's a lot of folks who've done a lot of polling and a lot of research in this area. And I think most people think that if someone like Joe Manchin or John Huntsman were to run on no labels, it would it would benefit Trump <laughs> in that's in that scenario. Okay. It would be it would be more Democrats voting for them. But more to your point, not only are they not going to win the presidency, they're not going to win a state. Mm -mm. That's just the truth. No. They're not going to win a state. So even with, it was, electoral if, if, college. Even with, if Huntsman was on that ballot, I don't think they would win Utah. And if they can't, no, I, you know, they're not going to win uh, West Virginia, right? I mean, I, I'll say it right now. If John Huntsman's on the ballot, or if he's not, either way, if they run a candidate, no labels, they finish third in Utah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and remember, in this country, it's it's so polarized. There's, I mean, the the left, the Democrat states, most of them, New York, California, like they're solidly Democrat. They are not voting for a third party, and uh, most of the Republican states, solidly Republican. So they would they would have a very steep hill to climb to win a single state, and you'd have to point to me which one we're even talking about. So. All, All right. right. Thanks. That's it. See you next well, week. Happy Pioneer Day. We'll see you next week. Oh, yeah. Happy Pioneer Day. Yeah. Thanks.